Hey Local Bytes listeners, it's your host here, Amin Yazdani. We're taking a break while we work on an exciting new format for the show. We want to bring you even more valuable conversations, tackling the real-life challenges and opportunities local restaurant operators are facing today. The Local Bites podcast is dedicated to equipping leaders of local restaurants and coffee shops just like yourself with the information and inspiration you need to fuel your success. I can't give too much away just yet, but we are sure that our new structure will do just that. In the meantime, we'll be hitting rewind on some of our favorite Local Bites episodes. So if you're drooling for some more Local Bites stories, we've got you covered. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Local Bites podcast. I'm Amin Yazdani, your host. It's not easy to start and run a local restaurant. There's a big upfront investment, tight margins, and lots of hard work. Some might say you need to be a little bit crazy to run a successful restaurant, yet we all know amazing local entrepreneurs who take on this challenge every day. These people make our local communities stronger. Every week, I host one of these amazing people to share their story. My guest this week is Kirk Grogan, the COO of Tip House, a restaurant tech startup based in Seattle. Welcome to Local Bites, Kirk. Thank you for having me, Amin. I appreciate it. So let's start from the beginning. Tell me a little bit more about your restaurant experience. Did you have any restaurant or restaurant tech experience before joining Tip House? I sure did. I sure did. Uh, restaurants in the hospitality industry in general have been a, um, a recurring theme in my life, but, and I've really enjoyed the opportunity always to be at the hospitality industry. So in high school, I was serving at a, you know, the major chain Chili's. That was my first uh, real job. Started there at 16 as a host and started serving at 18. Uh, managed a wine bar throughout college to help pay for school. And then right when I moved to Seattle from uh, the Texas area where I was living previously, my very first job was managing a wine bar up here. As I was uh, 24 and broke and looking for an easy, easy job to make some money and uh, restaurant opportunities always offered that. Absolutely. So take me through the, your journey from that, from those hospitality experience to, to joining Tip House. Uh, why did you join Tip House and like, take me through the, the journey of getting to that point? Sure thing. Sure thing. Great question with it. So really it started as right when I moved to Seattle, I had still been in the restaurant industry and that would have been my last spot. But I moved to Seattle mostly to get involved in the tech culture up here. And so when I moved here, I started doing some consulting work and, and small projects with some tech companies. Eventually found my way into a director role at a large consulting firm here downtown Seattle, uh, where I was working on really conversion rate optimization. So we'd work with a lot of the, the large Fortune 500 companies you're well aware of here in the Seattle area and working on specific projects, basically the, the digital conversion of them. So how do you take people in an online world and make them take the actions that you want? Um, that was a, a great piece and is a great learning curve. Um, this is also at a time where now this seems like standard basis to all companies. However, back at the time, you know, 2012, 2013, it wasn't as prevalent. There weren't as many softwares or tools available. And so that's really kind of what started that whole role for me. And then from there, um, always been entrepreneurial spirited. And the current CEO of Tip House and I, he and I had done some work previously, launched a couple companies previously on the smaller side. And uh, he wanted to take a real stab at it. So he was a restaurant consultant for a couple large groups up here in Seattle. Of all the things that he was consulting for, the one thing he couldn't solve was tip distribution and how you move tips amongst servers within your, your restaurant, how you make sure back of house is properly you know, allocated the money that they've earned. And then as far as your major tip earners, where they keep and what amount of money they transfer. So 
started working with him briefly on that. I was uh, not a, a true co-founder, although they do list me as an honorary co-founder since I started chatting with them at the beginning. But it's about two months after their launch when they had, uh, had a decision to make of, is this a part-time project? Is this a weekend project and we keep our full-time jobs? Or do we, do we exit those jobs? Do we really make a full run at this tech company? And they did. They chose that they wanted to exit full-time. I joined um, right on board with them right at that same time. We all kind of left our day jobs and the safety net behind us and moved straight into tip files. Um, not two months later, it was when uh, the thick of COVID started happening. And so it was an interesting early beginnings to this company. Absolutely. Well, actually, take me through that. I, I have a few different areas that I want to go to around the digital marketing, what it means for the restaurants, around sure. your involvement in the rest in, in a restaurant tech. But take me through first, let's take me through the COVID. Two months into starting this new tech, new uh, tech startup, you are probably talking to restaurant at this point, trying to see who will be the right fit for this. Tips, a lot of tips are probably the, are in person and now COVID is happening. So take me through the motion, uh, the, the emotions that, that, that you're, you're going through at that point in time. Absolutely. I don't know if I could ever relive the exact emotions because they were, uh, they were darker times, you know, certainly some despair in there with it. Uh, we had all, you know, there's two technical co-founders, my CEO and I all kind of here together with it. And everyone had quite quite well-off jobs. I think we were relatively cushy. We were by no means wealthy, but we were doing just fine and living well. So moving into a startup, we knew we were going to be going through our savings for a bit. We weren't taking salary. We weren't going to do anything on that front. And we all agreed to that. We, we knew that risk going in. What we did not expect was to, you know, to extend that time frame by over a year and a half. So really, we, we caught some early traction. We had the two beta customers that we kind of built the software in-house with them here in Seattle. And then as we started to expand, we saw some early traction. They had referrals of restaurants. They said, hey, you got to check this out. You should try Tip House. And so we quickly grew. We grew to about 60 or 70 restaurants um, using our software in that very brief first quarter, let's say. And then as soon as March 2020 kind of came around, uh, everything shut down and, and no one knew what was going on. And that was what made it so, so unique is looking back in hindsight, there could have been some great decision making at the time. And I think we actually made some good decisions. We certainly made our, our fair share of mistakes as well. But what we realized was no restaurant wanted to buy software at that time. Even though we are very affordably priced, we're not on the upper end of it. It makes sense because most restaurants weren't even allowed to keep their doors open. So it almost felt like a bad thing to even ask and try to make that sale. So what we did was we decided we were going to do two things. One, we were going to stop charging our existing customers because they could not keep their doors open. If you're not allowed to sell food and pay for the bills to tip house, we shouldn't be charging you or upholding any kind of terms of contract, anything like that. So we immediately paused all billing. And then we doubled down on the idea that we were going to focus on the product. We were going to collect a lot of feedback during this time. We were going to understand what restaurants out there needed, what was going to make their lives easier. And then we we're going to really get to work on that side of things. Um, it was a great idea. And I think we executed it fairly well across all standards. The, the caveat to all of it was we had no idea what the timeline was. And so there was a, a moment, you know, as we kind of got into January of 2021, 10 months after COVID started, a lot of restaurants still aren't up to full speed if they're open at all. Where we, we openly discussed, you know, is this going to be something that we can carry forward or is this going to be a, a COVID's going to go on for the next three years and we need to walk away? And we ultimately had that, uh, that final chat with each other of, you know, we were going to give this another three months. And if we could not get up those sales, if we could not find some solid restaurants out there, really find that use case and build that, that value proposition that we were going to ex exit the company. Um, thankfully, you know, looking at it from now, we certainly did COVID kind of lightened up a little bit. The government came in with lighter restrictions. Restaurants find ways to be adaptive and to really overcome those hurdles. And now we've uh, we've all grown together over the last year and a half. 
Perfect. That is great. Great story. So take me through the, 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 the motion of talking to the restaurants. What is the problem that you're, you're trying to solve for the restaurant? What, what is the pain point? And how did you figure out how to solve it? Great question. Uh, I think the pain point we try to solve is always dependent on each customer. And we really value customer feedback directly. Um, one of the things we are believing in is we will help any restaurant any time with anything that's in our wheelhouse. You do not have to be a customer. You don't even have to have the ability to be a customer. If you use a completely unique technology stack that we can't integrate with, anything like that, we just love knowing the restaurant space. Every one of the founders has worked in that space. A lot of us were in that not too long before we came on to Tip House itself. And so we really value and like getting to know the day-to-day -day life, the pains, the struggles, and the wins and the celebrations. But as for our direct, you know, what do we solve? What's the pain point that we are most sought after? It really comes down to calculating tips is a nightmare for most restaurant managers. Um, the more tips, the more employees, the greater square footage you have, the more a nightmare that is for you, for your comptroller, for your accounting team, whatever that may be. But that end result looks like it is going to take a lot of time and money to run things through an Excel sheet, to understand how tips should be allocated, who should be most appropriately rewarded, and even the larger hassle to adjust that tip structure, which is certainly needed in today's time. When you look at the turnover of restaurants, when you look at retention and employee staff, it's really hard to be able to find a system that you're able to quickly tweak and adjust to most fairly reward the employees that need it and to be able to keep that retention. Tip House is completely automated. So that is our real pain point element is we integrate with the point of sale and we will plug in your tip rules, your logic, however you want. That can be a simple tip pool where we want everyone to come in together. They all take equal shares or it can be as complex as, you know, servers tipping out only on alcohol sales to bartenders during X number of hours based on the minutes they worked while checks were open. And that is, you know, we can get from the simplest of all tip pools to the most complex scenarios. But all of that saves tremendous amount of time, headache, and really our big element is the transparency. Uh, this is something, you know, I knew from being a server and a bartender, but when cash started dying and it, COVID, of course, accelerated that, that cash is basically out of the picture. That means restaurants really no longer have time to have cash on hand. They don't get it from their guests. So either they have to make bank runs or you'll see the real large organizations out there are able to schedule armored truck deliveries and things that are logistically too complicated for most restaurants out there in the U.S. And so really where we started to see is servers, you know, you'll go two weeks without actually getting your tips. They'll go on to your paycheck. But as you can imagine, you know, I earn $100 today, $200 tomorrow, $150 tomorrow. And then when my paycheck comes in, I have to go through and figure out, OK, is this accurate? Knowing that I should have been tipping out 3% to the bartender this day and 1% to the host, half percent to the bus or in the bar back. And all of this math really leads to a lot of discretionary issues between managers and employees. And what that looks like is nobody has truth or transparency in reporting. Managers don't understand their Excel sheet because the manager before the manager currently built that out. They may no longer be with the company. And then of employees, of course, they don't have the full picture. They only see their tips and what they actually make from their tips. And so you leave this, this giant vague gap for a lot of people. And that's really one of our values that we try to bring in. Um, there are obvious pain points of time and money, but I think transparency, bringing that full house together is kind of our major goal. So that transparency, interestingly enough, actually plays really well to the issue that a lot of restaurants are dealing with right now, and that is worker shortage. Of course, if I don't know how am I getting paid, there is a higher chance for me to look for other opportunities, either other restaurants or other, other line of works. But with that transparency, you can solve uh, some of that issue. Tell me a little more about like how, like inside your customers, inside the restaurants that you're helping with, how are you seeing that transparency 
help them with keeping their, their, uh, their staff around longer? Absolutely. And that's a great question. I would say unequivocally, it's been a win across the board. We have a free mobile employee app that is basically just your financials as a server or a bartender. You see your total sales, your tips, how much you paid out to other people, but it completely removes that veil or that fog there that you don't know what's going on. And then you can look at, so like Harvard Business Review put out a great study showing employee transparency in a highly trusted and transparent workplace. You'll enjoy 78% longer tenure, 50% more trust, 22% more work productivity, all of these fun stats. But really what it comes down to is everybody wants to work at a place. They understand the hours and the work that I put in right now translate to X. And if you remove that X or if that X isn't obviously visible to them, you will lose a lot of that trust. You lose a lot of that motivation because why do I want to go work? where I don't know what the results will be from that work. Should I work harder today? Could I be lazy today? What does that look like? And if you don't have a direct comparison, you don't see that, it can be really difficult. Um, and to your exact point, we are. We see a lot of restaurants and speak with a lot that are having trouble with staffing elements. That's one of the largest reasons people will reach out to us is they're saying, hey, you know, I understand that this is supposed to help a little bit on that front and that we should see that. So realistically for worker shortage, what I've seen effective that restaurants are doing, um, you know, Obviously, paying attention to your opening hours, a lot of times we're spreading staff too thin. And if you see that on the tail ends of this bell curve, let's call it of the day, if you're not having a ton of sales and a ton of tip performed, consider shortening those, those service hours, those working hours right there. Um, most effectively that we've seen doubling down on your existing employees. There is no value you can put on those existing employees who already know your regulars, who know your menus in and out, who are lifeblood of your system, who will pick up the cleaning slack, the rolling silverware. All of these things because they want to see that run well. So often we see managers focusing on bringing in new talent. And I know that is critical. And I know we always have to keep the hopper full on that front. But really not forgetting that the people that are there are your rock stars today, that they understand everything and how your system works. They help out your new employees. They keep people trained up. They keep morale high. So making sure that you're chatting with those employees, that you're performing interviews with them and taking honest and candid feedback. What is it that those employees really love working at your restaurant for? And what, what are their pain points? What is their hassle? What are they dealing with? And as a manager, you won't always be able to solve those, of course. But if you can find and at least just hear your employees out, they'll feel heard, they'll feel more validated, and they'll know that at least their, their concerns are, are justified, that they're bringing those up, and that maybe you two can work together to kind of bring those out and bring them forward. Interesting. Um, Kirk, I was talking to, to two points in, 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 um, about what you just said. I was talking to Seth Weber of Moconad in our last episode uh, of uh, Local Pies. And what he brought up is that in, in their coffee shop, what they have is that they put employees first. And what they achieve with that is actually better service for their customers and better result for the business as, a, as the result of uh, that. So by putting employees first, they're achieving that because people stick around, people care more about uh, the coffee shop, about Mocha Nut as a result of that, which is very interesting. It's very, very aligned with what, what you were saying. The other thing that I have seen is that um, a lot of, this is a mistake that I've seen, a lot of restaurants, they, their way of dealing with the staff shortage is that they increase their uh, their salaries, but only for new new candidates that are coming down the road. Sure. They're not really increasing that for their current staff. And as yep. a result, they're actually pushing their staff out because they can go out and come back in the door and get a better, better, higher salary. What are 
the, the other mistakes that you've seen that the people make or other successes like putting employees first in, in the restaurant, uh, the restaurant side? Sure. So I, I think to build off of your statement there, the obvious element is offering these new incentives, I think, to employees without recognizing the value that your existing employees have. And, and I think, you know, everyone could agree if you're in that spot, that's frustrating, right? I, I've been with you for years. I've been working hard through this. We've probably been through COVID together. And you're telling me that a brand new employee is worth more to you per hour than I am when I'm obviously contributing more. I know the system. I know the point of sale. I lead to greater guest satisfaction. So that's a, a absolute great point. I, I think that that is um, spot on with that assumption and, and that analysis of it. I think something I've seen work well and actually potentially work poorly that lines up directly with that is employee referral programs. Um, and the trick here is making sure they benefit both parties. I see a lot of times to that exact point that it may not be higher salary. It's just a bonus for signing right now. Offer that bonus to both sides. Your employees most likely know great staff members. And I'll give a great example. We work with a, a fantastic company out east, a franchise group called Doghouse, a very, one of the faster growing franchises in the U.S. And they have a, a young staff with a young owner at one of their franchises, and they are smashing sales goals for their company and across their franchise. And what that looked like was they instituted the idea of Tip sharing, being able to give your employees all the same amount of money, no new staff, no new any individual element there. But they just asked their individual staff members, hey, if you know someone who is a great candidate to work here, please go let them know and we'll reward you both equally. And what they've seen is that they lowered turnover, that all their staff is happy that the franchise or the corporate office that stepped in and got to witness it said, you know, hey, this is one of the smoothest and best functioning restaurants we've ever seen. What's your secret? And they said to the exact point, we put our employees first. And we reward everyone equally. You know, if you're bringing something to the table, if you're bringing another employee that you know, and they come in and they do a great job, we'll bonus you both for that. And so that's encouraged all of their staff to go out and find their friends who they really think are reliable candidates who would be a great fit for this role. And now they all benefit together and you work together with people you already know. There's unbelievable mutual benefits. If you can find a referral program that benefits both parties, and that's the trick, not just benefiting or incentivizing new staff, but making sure all staff kind of benefits together, those who participate. Um, additionally, you know, I think technology is your friend to a degree. And I'd say that several restaurants out there are really implementing it quite well. There is obviously technology, you all know, of course, here at Craper, that, uh, that really benefits the restaurant, can help your staff. And then I think there are times where, where restaurant operators are kind of bringing in technology that they don't bet and that they themselves don't ever try to use. They kind of tell their staff, hey, learn this technology, implement it. But what have you just done is added to their workload without showing them the upsides of it, right? Why do I want to benefit from this technology? How will this make my life as a server easier when I know that I can go give better service and talk to my guests more, increase my check count, my tip totals, et cetera? That seems like a better use of time. So when you're bringing in new technology, when you're working on that technology, make sure you're painting the win-win scenario. How does your staff benefit from that? How do you benefit from that? And what's the long-term play with it? Um, I think always getting in the trenches, learning a little bit of that technology yourself really pays dividends on the, on the backside of that. Absolutely. So what you're seeing with the tips, I want to go a little bit deeper into that because it's, you have a, a, a tremendous amount of knowledge there. And I want our, our listeners sure. to, to learn more about you. What are you seeing on the tips? Like, what is the average per hour sort of tip rate that, that restaurants can give out um, as part of their, their benefits? Is that like... Um, similar across the board or are, are there a lot of differences? What can restaurant, how can restaurants really benefit from getting their tips higher or more or more consistent? Sure. 
Sure. And I think that's a, that's a great point and a major thing that a lot of restaurants necessarily don't pay enough attention to. They all certainly track it slightly. But I think really driving in the idea that if you can increase the tips for your guests that are leaving your employees by $2 an hour, you're making, what, a $4,000 annual increase to their annual salary. Uh, and that's, that's not chump change. I mean, that's real money that we need to focus on. So to answer your previous question, what does it look like? What are averages? It varies tremendously. We work with everything from coffee shops and quick service restaurants to high-end, fine-dining, full-service restaurants, full bars. Um, the upper end of those, I mean, you can see people making six figures on tips. And that's not a, not a shock to many people out there in the world when I used to work back in high school. Uh, I was not making that because I was in high school still, but some of the career servers at that location were making 150000 a year working four days. So there are those opportunities. And I think as long as we're honest about what's the average ticket price, what does that look like? And how much support are you giving these service staff? That's really where tip values can increase. Because if servers have longer to engage with that table, if they can increase that dessert bill at the end, if they can sell and upsell one extra drink, if they can build that personal relationship, they're naturally going to have tips higher. So any of that support level information that you can get these tables and these service staff, you really give them an opportunity to increase those tips. But just general numbers looking over it, I'd say... On average, we look about 10 to $15 an hour um, for middle of the road, what I would call full service restaurants. These are not going to be highly dialed in operational franchises. These are generally one to five units, but that's about where they will land. Bartenders typically track just above that in the 20 to $30 an area. And then we highly encourage, and I think most restaurants are kind of seeing this pivot of making sure that you're bringing back of house and the supporting staff who really lead to a great guest experience. Let them have some of that tip value there. It can be small amounts. You can do, you know, tip out percentage of sales. You can do tip pools and you can weight your employees slightly differently on point systems. Or you can even just do flat, you know, 3% of tips will go back to a support staff for a pool. All of those are valuable, but I think we often underestimate the value that support staff brings to a great customer experience. The server and the bartender, obvious, they're face-to-face, they're building the rapport, they're building that relationship. But having busters be able to run things for you, having a bar back who's going above and beyond for you, all of these elements indirectly lead to a great customer experience because now we're allowing those people who do engage with the guests to have more of that engagement, to be a little lighthearted, to have less side work to do on the back end, to have less busy work, to really get more face time and be able to pay more attention. Interesting. What about the quick service restaurant? You said that quick service restaurants, the coffee shops are on a, on a lower end. What type of uh, tip averages are you seeing on that side? Great question. Interestingly enough, coffee shops can be one of our largest variances. Um, on the smaller end, we typically see a minimum of 3 to $5 an hour in tips. And that really determines on how many options are you giving this customer to tip. If you have an online app, can they tip through that? Can they tip in cash only? Can they tip by a credit card as well? And can they do it easily? I think that's something people often forget is on drive throughs it can be a little clunky to pass a, a clipboard back and forth and have things go on that front when you're just trying to get in and out. But I would say three to five minimum, and that's on a, a schedule where it's pretty hard to tip all the way up to $20 plus per hour is not unheard of or even that uncommon at your really high through but well-located coffee stands, quick service in general. Um, and on that, I think really just paying attention to there's always going to be the debate of should we allow tipping at this location? Is this going to be just part of the guest experience? Is that going to be off-putting? Generally, as long as I think you implement it in a way that it's not expected, it's a bonus. Hey, you had a great experience here. If your customer success or your customer server right there really went above and beyond for you, um, absolutely leave a tip with it. And if you encourage that, you can see that you'll get, again, 2 to $3 an hour minimum 
going extra mm-hmm. either to support staff, to the people directly behind the counter, whatever that looks like. Uh, and again, at the end of the day, that's, that's serious money on, on their check each month. You know, an extra $400, $500 really moves the needle as far as your employee retention, what you can keep, and how you stack up against your local competition in, in your market. That's very interesting. Kirk, I want to go a little bit deeper into that because I have had an experience. So we have one of our customers, as you know, we, we do the mobile apps. One of our customers, what they have, they have a very specific tip amount presets. Uh, 2%, 5%, and 7%. So, um, and not, that's not the typical 10, 15, 18, sure. or 20% setup. And they have that. And they really wanted to have that specific 2, 5, and 7% on there. And what they told us is that when they implemented this lower set amount, actually their total amount of tip that they received increased because more people uh, were okay to do that 5% tip and they wanted to do that. This, another experience, anecdotal experience that I had was from a food truck here in town in Vancouver that I went to. And at the end, it showed me that I could potentially tip, I could se- select zero, but the other option that they had was 3%, 5%, and 7%. So it's a small amount. So I'm intrigued to, to tip that small amount Although it's not a full service restaurant, so I'm not receiving the service to give out 20% tip, but I'm receiving a service that I'm happy to do that, a small percentage. What have you seen on that end of the spectrum or are there learnings in here for, for our customers? Absolutely. And I mean, I think you were spot on and we're seeing this trend. And so this is something obviously we track closely as, you know, press goes out, coverage news and just overall, um, dining guest perceptions of tipping and what that looks like. And so I love that approach. And we try to encourage several restaurants to adopt that. And I think exactly to your, to your latter point, it really comes down to what was the level of service you received? Were they running drinks for you? Were you having several glasses of wine? Did a bottle of wine get opened at your table? What did all of that look like? And when you come down to these simpler, quicker touch points where it's three to five minutes at most, I think a lower percentage of tips will absolutely lead to increased tips. I will throw out a caveat that I see and uh, some of the hatred out there for some of these restaurants that are charging 25, 30, 35%. Some of the frustrations that go around that I often think is not necessarily on their end. There are pre-programmed tip amounts into a lot of the point of sales out there. And I think several of the managers say, hey, you know, activating tips, that sounds like a great idea. And they never think through to go through and see what those options are or realize you can adjust them. But I do love that idea. And I think more and more restaurants will be adopting that because I think that's a very fair way to go about it. That if my options are to tip you 0% or just 25%, and this was a quick service engagement, it was a quick interaction, there wasn't much rapport or happiness to it on either front because we're quick. We're trying to get this in. I'm trying to get back to my office at lunch. We'll say our pleasantries and thank yous. But you don't leave a lot of room to really justify why am I going to go above and beyond and tip you 25% here? And usually I'll do it. I enjoy this space. You know, we work in this space, so we try to support. But always looking around on the end, I think, uh, 3%, 5%, 8%, even up to 10%, it really comes down to what is the level of interaction your guests are going to have with your staff and play it off of that. What's a reasonable amount that you could see on that front? Because looking at the numbers, you know, I mean, if you're doing a hundred thousand in sales in a month and you're getting 3000 additional on tips on just the 3%, just your lowest barrier entry there, that's outstanding to be able to redeploy that to your staff, right? I mean, you're talking again, hundreds of dollars a month that you're able to redeploy on these smaller restaurants, smaller footprints, smaller staff counts. So that money's going to really go a long way for them. I love that idea. And I love where your points out that. I mean, I'm glad to see you're seeing some of that out in the world today. That's awesome. Kurt, change of gears. I want to 
get back to your background and the digital marketing side a little bit. Yes, sir. Um, so your background was around how to make people on the digital market on the digital side to take an action. But now in a in an environment for the restaurant that is it could be digital, but also it always has that um, that physical sets because you have to get your food. The, the food cannot be done digitally. Absolutely. Like you still have to get the um, order service. How, what have you seen as a good, good practices on the marketing side that will help sure. restaurants be able to bring guests in, increase their order size? Of course, the tip will be part of that, but also like just create that, that sense that it's the same experience digitally and in person. Absolutely. That's a great question. I mean, and I think, you know, at the core of anything, marketing and sales in general usually will go hand in hand. And no matter whether you're doing online or in person, there's a lot of themes that run across them all together. But if we looked at it in this case, conversion of an online piece still applies very much, even though they may not be buying it. We may not be going through an app. We may not actually be making the transaction. The conversion is having an online presence that allows that customer to break the plane of your restaurant. They step their foot through the door and now they are inside, ready to presumably spend money and enjoy your experience. So we can start from looking at it at that standpoint. And it's going to sound very, very cliche, but I think a lot of people really overlook the idea of a brand identity for your restaurant. What are you actually known for? Are you a family fun place? Are you something that is very serious? Are you a place where people like to hang out in a neighborhood bar to watch the games? All of those, I think everyone has an idea as a restaurant operator and owner, what they want to be. You want to be the cheers bar. Do you want to be the big hot new nightclub that kind of transitions into a brunch spot on Sundays? All of that is great. But how are you invoking that? And how are you living that day to day? It goes from training your staff on how they speak, what your customer engagement should be, how you're getting out and involved in the community, et cetera. So Making sure you know what you're wanting to go for. I think too often we have a quick idea, the restaurant gets launched, and then we just kind of let ourselves drift into whatever lane that the community, the restaurant, the customers, et cetera, push us into, as opposed to us trying to define that lane and kind of keep those parameters up. But outside of that, I think there's two other major major elements that we want to pay attention to. Um, making sure you have a searchable and usable presence online. Um, and then making sure we're using our social media opportunities and our emails effectively to drive those customers in. So a couple examples, you know, um, running socials and making sure of what that looks like on the back end of it, sending emails. These are generally very easy, very low time commitments and cheap or free opportunities. Uh, you do not have to have a professional social media manager. Generally, someone on your staff, service industry generally skews young. Someone is going to be better at social media than you as the manager at almost all times. And so just a conversation with them. It could be a few extra dollars a week on that. It could be extra perks or bonuses. It could be picking your shifts. But most of the time, those are going to be fairly quick items that they're going to have a good eye for. You can always get that rocking and rolling. You can use tools out there and softwares to schedule things. If you're really going to go advanced with it and you want to pay attention, there's Hootsuite, there's Loomly, there's a bunch of different softwares out there you could use. Um, and then email, similar thing. I think we often view, okay, we get a guest email. They've signed up for us. They've maybe dined with us before. They're looking to dine again. Uh, and they kind of lump them all into the same category of, hey, we're just going to send everyone who's ever been on our email list the same email. We don't care if they've opened the email previously. We don't care if they've dined once with us or 600 times with us. They're all going to kind of receive these same elements. And so the end result, what I would love to see in that is everybody's kind of segmented into their own category, right? We, we've got funnels and tools of communication. We have methods to reach these people slightly different than others, but we don't have to start at the end goal. We can work our way there. So a good segment right at the beginning 
is guests that have dined with you once versus guests that have dined with you more than once. Because how you speak to those people are very differently, right? After your first experience, you need to understand, was it a great experience? Was it not? What would make you come back? What dish did you have? How did you like it? All of these questions, you're still building that relationship, right? With the dating analogy, you've just had your very first date. Are you going to get together and see each other for another date? Whereas, you know, I mean, if you go to this restaurant that you see for the light tipping sides, if you go there three times a week, it's your natural. How I communicate to you there should not be the same as a first time a customer walks in. So simple segmentations at the beginning, there's always an end goal in mind. But, you know, I think so many people get frustrated, intimidated and scared of I can't make it all the way there. I don't have time to write 16 different emails for 16 different groups. You don't need to start with two and see what happens from there. And if you see that kind of working, you can continue to branch out. And you may find a sweet spot. You only need two or three segments in general. That's all you need for it. And you're going to have a great experience. Um, the last piece and the earlier piece that I mentioned, searchable and usable presence. Oh, my goodness, is this important and never going to be more important than it is every new day. We are not sliding away from the digital era. We are embracing it and running full force into it. And so understanding like the baseline of being listed on Google and having Google reviews available making sure your presence looks good, your opening hours are accurate, your photos look high quality. Those things are not overly complicated. You can get it all banged out in a couple hours, but it does need a little bit of planning. And then of course, any of the other review sites out there, I think Yelp, Zomato, there's a bunch out there that are always great to have, but Google is a, is a must. Um, 50% of people that are looking on Google are looking for someplace physical related. And generally that's where restaurant searches are gonna start for your first time or second time customers as they're looking at that. As they become a favorite, they'll use that online source less, but you need to always be driving in new sources of revenue. So I think that is a major component that people um, really, really botch a little bit. And they don't pay enough attention to the fact that like, yes, you make your money by people being in person generally. However, so much of the decision criteria for guests on where they're going to go starts online and you never see that you never get to interact with it. So it's easy to overlook, but that is such an important element. Absolutely. I think that's that, uh, that, that, that makes, makes total sense, especially with anything that you want to do, you, you will open your phone, just do a search. You will, you, even if you know the name, you are searching for that just to see how busy are they right now? How far can I walk there? Or do I need to take the car? All of that question always comes, comes to mind. Uh, Kirk, uh, before I let you go, uh, this is the last question I, I ask all, all our it. guests, and this is about a piece of advice. If you were yeah. to give a piece of advice to someone who wants to start their own restaurant or coffee shop, what would that be? Oh, that is a great question. Um, I would say top of mind, it's not for the faint of heart and it's a tough spot to be in. Now you got to be passionate and you got to love it. And you really have to want to contribute and commit to that local community, I think is number one and just overarching piece of advice. Secondary from that, Find a lane and keep things as simple as possible. You can have a complex menu while still being simple with ingredients. You can make sure you're not overcomplicating. You're not trying to solve every world at once. You're not trying to find multiple genres to bring in. Find a lane and establish loyalty. And you look at the top performing restaurants out there in today, quick service to full service. Most of them are fairly simplified and have one exact direction. Chick-fil-A is the obvious answer of what they've done with chicken is remarkable in their growth. But there are so many examples like that out there where you don't need to make everyone the world's happiest. You need to find a small base that you can continually make happy because they will come back to you time and time again. Absolutely. Kirk, thank you so much for your time today. If our listeners want to learn more about Tip House, where can they go? 
Absolutely. So you can go to tiphouse.com. We spell it the German spelling, H-A-U-S. But if you just type in the regular H-O-U-S-E, Tip House, you'll come to our website as well. We were smart enough to grab both domains. So you can always find us there. Um, and if anyone's interested, you're always welcome to drop me an email as well. Just Kirk at Tip House. Always happy to chat with uh, restaurant owners, operators, people who have questions and want advice out there. Always happy to get involved. Thank you so much, Kirk. It was a great uh, conversation. It was my pleasure to host you at the Local Bite uh, for today. Uh, thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Amin. I really appreciate it and I appreciate the opportunity here.